Welcome to All the Things with Joel One. I'm your host, Joel One. We are here, All the Things, episode 30. 30 episodes in the can. All right, all right, all right, in my best Matthew McConaughey voice. Wow. Uh, so today's going to be a fun episode. I, I know I just did music the last couple of weeks. So we did basketball in there too, but uh, a, a very special album came out 20 years ago this month, and I wanted to do a little bit of a retrospective on it. And that album is White Pony by Deftones. And I still can't believe it's been 20 years, but it has. And so we're going to do a new All the Things segment here called Classic Album Breakdown. And then we'll do our top three tracks from the album. And I brought my brother Zach on, who is a devotee of this record as well, even though he was only, I believe, uh, six years old when the album came out, seven in the year 2000, but six when the album came out in June. Uh, so I don't know how, <laughs> how much he was listening to it back then, but having him on, on to describe and talk about how it affected him shows the longevity and the staying power that this record has with even a newer generation of people. So that'll be fun to talk to him about this album as we break down the classic White Pony. But before that, I just wanted to speak a little bit about some things I started watching or that I did watch, period. Um, one of which was I watched, I saw the film Boogie Nights last night. I had seen that a long time ago when I was a kid maybe a teenager or something, I don't know, you rented it, because it's about the porno industry, and you're like, oh, oh, Heather Graham, oh, you know, but movie's a lot more than just that, um, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson film, I think it maybe was his second film, and it was the breakout of Mark Wahlberg, which, uh, he did great in the movie, I thought, at first, in the early scenes, before he became Dirk Diggler, before he became a porno star, he was a little bit shaky, but he came, came off really well, I think, in the film and you know obviously he's one of our better actors today he's really engaging charismatic and he, he can play different roles uh, but I was actually quite surprised even though I probably shouldn't be but I was surprised by Burt Reynolds's performance and I guess he was nominated in that movie for best supporting actor and I, I believe it he did a great job of playing the uh, the director of the exotic films I think his name was Jim Horner um, yeah so he was he was excellent in it. I thought that the other bit parts, um, John C. Riley was really good. And it's interesting. John C. Riley, I think, is an actual, you know, dramatic actor, but we all know him as comedic actor from all the Will Ferrell affairs. But he was funny in this, and I think he was funny because we know him as a funny guy. But he was good too. John C. Riley, solid. Julianne Moore was solid. Heather Graham was good for her performances uh, as the. Uh, famous roller girl but it was a really solid movie and paul thomas anderson has obviously gone on to become quite a director and auteur of films um so yeah interesting rewatch 20 something years later uh, but yeah definitely fun movie boogie nights another thing that i just started was deadwood season two you know i, I watched the wire season one recently I, I also watched deadwood season one a couple i don't know a while back I'm now starting season two. And man, Timothy Oliphant just gives me the feels, man. I love that guy. He's a great actor. And I think this role, although I haven't seen a lot of his television work, I think I think he's in Longmire. And he's it's similar kind of thing. Like 
this is his niche and he's great at it. He's really, really good in it. And uh, shout out to Anna Gunn from Breaking Bad fame appearing as his wife in the first episode here. I wonder if she's going to be in more of it. I've never watched Deadwood. This is my first time going through it. And so far, season one was awesome. Season two, kicking off with a blast. Love the cast. Love the characters. If you're into westerns, this is one of the best western, modernized western shows. When I say modernized, I just mean it came out in the last 20 years. It wasn't like, uh, say, Gunsmoke or something like that from the 50s, 60s, whatever. This is a, a modern take on westerns. So yeah, check out Deadwood. I'll give you some reports as I get through more of the season. Okay, well that's all uh, really that's going on with me. You're, you know, we're still wearing our masks and uh, staying safe, washing our hands, doing all that business. Not going to Disneyland, not going to the movies. <laughs> Although I might try to convince Aaron to go see Ghostbusters at the drive-in theater next week. Maybe I can get some other friends to go to Ghostbusters playing in Concord at the drive-in theater, I believe, on uh, the weekend of the 4th of July. So, you know, that's, of course, the greatest cinematic achievement of our time. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ghostbusters, my favorite film. Um, maybe I'll go see that next week. That would be fun. Anyway, let's get to the episode now. I'm going to call Zach up. We're going to get this thing rolling. Classic album breakdown, Deftones, White Pony. Alright everybody, here we are, All the Things with Joel 1, this is episode 30, and we're doing a new sort of segment on this episode, it's going to be something that I'm calling right now, temporary title, Classic Album Breakdown, and the album that we have chosen is Deftones' White Pony. The reason this album was chosen is because it's the 20 year anniversary of that record coming out this month, June. I wanted to get it in here for June because this is this is the 20 year anniversary. And it's kind of crazy to me thinking that this record is 20 years old because I remember this record coming out and being super hyped for it. And that makes me feel old because that means I've existed for 20 years also. <laughs> uh, only 20 <laughs> yeah so that voice you're hearing is my guest on this pod today you've heard him before he is my little brother named zach zach fenny half measures how are you zach i'm doing fine how are you doing i'm you know hanging in there hanging out having fun in this covid 19 environment zach uh, yeah. of course is a uh, local musician who is just starting to book some gigs, and I'm sure he's happy about that, yeah? Yeah, after, uh, it's been three months now with literally no gigs, so I'm definitely happy to have them back. So do you feel safe? Uh, as safe as I ever feel, you know. <laughs> I could, there's a lot of ways that I could, I could die or be injured throughout you know, a normal day. I could hurt myself picking up my guitar amp. I could get hurt walking down the street, get run over by a car. I could catch COVID. That could be bad. Um, but no, you know, I, I'm I'm trying my best to take the precautions and still be, still social distance around strangers. I didn't bring you in here to talk COVID. So we brought you in here to talk about White Pony, the Deftones record from 2000. And little 
background on the album. It is the Deftones' third official album, released on Maverick Records on June 20th, 2000. And it ended up peaking at number three on the U.S. Billboard charts. It's certified platinum in America, selling over 1.3 million units. Which, wow. Yeah, That's I don't know how, how that translates to today's world, you know? Um, this it, is, I mean, it, it, it's crazy, but it's not crazy to think about 1.3 million people buying this album with money. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I, I told you before we started that I actually bought four copies of it. <laughs> I know. So you bought. So, so now divide that number by four, and if everyone else is like you, then that's really how much it sold. Yeah, maybe. So this album came out sort of in the heyday of CDs. I think 2000 CDs yeah, would be a good thing. Old days. Probably for another five to seven years, like super solidly and pre nine eleven. Things yeah. were good still. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And. Uh, the personnel on this record is the, the what I call the classic Deftones lineup of Chino on vocals, Stefan on guitar, Abe the drummer, and then the uh, belated Chi Chang on bass, and uh, for the first time officially Frank Delgado as a member of the band. Frank did contribute to the first couple records a little bit here and there, and he was a kind of a touring person with the band, but he, he joined the Frank band is- officially for White Pony. Frank is the, the DJ, the guy who did the turntables? Well, yeah, that's a, a simplification of what he does for that band because he's still in the band and he's like the synthesizers and the keys and just the oh, cool. the, okay. the, the extra sounds and stuff. Um, but yeah, back back in those days, the hip-hop influenced rap core, new metal stuff. Like he did more turntable-y stuff on the early records. Yeah. Um, this record is kind of a turning point for them creatively and commercially. It was recorded or produced by uh, Terry Date and the band. Terry Date, of course, did Adrenaline and Around the Fur also, and he was uh, big in the metal hard rock scene. He worked with Pantera and Soundgarden and White Zombie and Incubus and Stained and a bunch of different bands. Um, But he was significant influence on the band in their early days. He did at least the next album also. So he did the first four Deftones records. And wow. I know how that kind of goes from being in a band. It's like he's about 20 years older, I think, than most of the guys in the band. So they probably looked at, to him as a guy with a lot of experience and influence. Yeah, he's, and, he's like the mentor guy. I, I, I totally know know yeah. what, you're, what you're talking about. Yeah, so uh, he was, I think, integral, or integral, whatever that word is, uh, integral <laughs> to the... Uh, I, wasn't, I didn't think I was confused about it until you said it. <laughs> yeah, uh, to the uh, recording and production produce, producing of this album. Also on this album uh, featured a couple of guest vocals, notably uh, Maynard James Keenan from Tool in a Perfect Circle appears on Passenger, and yeah. a I believe a Spanish singer named Rodlene Gestich, Gestich uh, maybe, is the uh, the sort of haunting female vocals you hear on Knife Party, and then Scott Weiland apparently appears on this record. Uh, Scott Weiland also sadly deceased. He was from Stone Temple Pilots. Apparently, he does vocals on RX Queen, which I'm gonna look for next time I listen to that song. It was uh, it was curious to me to to read that that he was on there. And then, uh, believe it or not, the, the album only had two singles, really, that were released. That was Change in the House of Flies and Back to School Mini Maggot, which I have some notes about that we'll get into a little bit later. But 
yeah. know I'm pretty sure Digital Bath was sort of released as maybe a digital single and it got a little bit of play but uh, it kind of surprising only two charting singles interesting on, on considering it's such a it's such a landmark album I think that's exactly it I think it's a landmark album you know like uh, it maybe wasn't such a, a singly sort of record uh, it was just this great piece of artistic work um the album was recorded between August and December of 1999 at Larrabee Sound in Hollywood and at The Plant in Sausalito. I've actually been to The Plant, uh, believe it or oh. not. Uh, I believe my, my old friend RJ and the band Dulcet recorded a little bit there. Oh, nice. Uh, the band uh, Deftones took their time, quote-unquote, even though they were sort of pressured by the label to get it done sooner. So, Adrenaline came out in 95, and then Around the Fur came out in 97, so that's two years. And then yeah. this, this came out in 2000, which was three years. So, um, yeah, a little bit on the long side, waiting for that to get done. Uh, but the bassist, I have a quote here from Chi Chang. He said that we didn't feel like we had anything to lose, so we made the record we wanted to make. And he goes on to speak about how they took their time recording it. They went into the studio not really with any songs written and they did a lot of the, the writing in the studio I, I had read that also which is interesting but you know every band has different ways of doing stuff and um you know i guess if the record label's foot in the bill you know you have more <laughs> more time you can spend then you might as well do it and there's a lot of things you can experiment with in the studio that maybe you, you can't do in the rehearsal room you know yeah so the uh the lyrics on this album are sort of interesting um for me, I've never been a huge lyric guy, and I say that in the sense that I know a lot of the lyrics, but I don't really pay attention to what they're saying or what they mean. Um, but I, I just sort of find a lot of lyricists are write personal things or write, you know, love songs or songs from their life experience. But uh, Chino went a sort of different approach on this album. He sort of wanted to tell stories and take himself out of it. I have another quote from him uh, here. He says, I basically didn't sing about myself on this record. I made up a lot of storylines and some dialogue even. I took myself completely out of it and wrote about other things. Once I did that, I was able to sing about anything I wanted to. I could be a lot more general. There's a lot of stuff on this record that people are going to question me about, and I can just remove myself from it. It's not me. I'm writing a story here. And for you, Zach, as a songwriter... Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you feel about that approach to writing songs? I think your lyrics, from, from what I know, are mostly uh, personal experience. Is that correct? Uh, yes and no. I think that uh, I, I, I think I really vibe with, with, with what Chino's doing there. Um, and I, I do a little bit of that on my own. I, I, I feel like, for the most part, my songs are inspired by real feelings and a lot of times those are generated by real experiences but sometimes they're experiences that are secondhand sometimes they're made up experiences like i have a song about called bikes about uh losing a friend uh to like war and that hasn't happened to me but that happened to dad when he was growing up and i sort of just channeled my experience with my friend growing up and i mixed that uh with feeling what with what dad must have experienced growing up in the area of the vietnam war and that's why I came up with that. And uh, uh, so that was, you know, it's sort of half or even mostly a fictional story. Uh, and I think that Chino probably does the same thing. He, you know, he makes stuff up in the same way that Claudio and Cohe does uh, in that it's 
they can make up fictional stories, but they can be inspired by by, by real feelings. Uh, like I'm sure that you know Chino can make a story that I think how do you even pronounce that name? The first track in the album, Fatisse. <laughs> I'm not I, looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've always pronounced uh, it uh, Fatissiera, but I, yeah, I don't okay, know if that that's one, I guess is about a kidnapping yeah. or about being kidnapped. Uh, and obviously Chino, you know, has probably never been kidnapped, or I don't think he's ever kidnapped anyone. If he has, he did a good job at it because we don't know about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm sure that he channeled real experiences of uh, feeling helpless and feeling hopeless uh, to make that, you know. Yeah. So, and just like any author, any story storyteller has has to draw on from 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 real from real emotions to to paint a convincing story so i feel like that's what he's doing yeah and that's a totally valid and very interesting way to songwrite i i agree with that and i think i think some of the more interesting lyricists especially when you get into a band that's been or an artist who's been doing it for a long long time they have to get into more story elemented stuff and you know, for Chino to start experimenting with that sort of early on, I think it, it shaped the way. I bet a lot of his lyrics are like that. Because, I mean, writing personal songs is probably fine and good, but it's also probably maybe more fun to disconnect from it and have something that other people can interpret however they want to interpret it, as opposed to, like, this is what happened to me on Friday the 16th when I was 12 years old. <laughs> and I'm not used... Well, I'm, I'm more used to songwriting collaboratively now, but I've, I've not been songwriting collaboratively uh, for most of my career, so I wanted to look up different, uh, different examples, and different different forms of songwriting. And something in one of the videos I watched, someone said I don't remember who it was now, uh, but they said that uh, the thing about making songs and art in general is you can make it reflect any way you want it to feel, regardless of whether you're feeling that way or not. And so that and that will that will show on in the the work whatever it is so say you want to write a happy song but you're sad it will probably come out melancholy yeah uh but if you want to write a happy song and really happy it's gonna be really upbeat and probably really happy if you want to write a sad song and you're sad it's probably gonna come out real sad but it's those it's when you cross it, it's when you try to take yourself out of it uh that that's where it creates that really interesting space to work with yeah so, um, the band, the Deftones on this record, they also included a lot more sort of atmospheric elements to the music than their previous releases. They utilized, uh, Frank, DJ Frank, much more. A lot of trip-hop, kind of shoegazy stuff, some post-rock yeah. mix blended with their sort of melodic metal style, I would say. finished product turned out vastly different than the first two records I believe but yep. you could still tell it's the same band I think it's it's from adrenaline to around the fur to white pony the the transition makes sense like 
you, you it feels like natural growth. Yeah, if, if you listen to the band, they feel like they're the same band on all the albums, just different time periods, which is, I think, what bands strive for, uh, growth. But growth where you're still holding on to your core elements. Uh, yes. Deftones, I think, grows in just the, the perfect way from each album to each album. But I, I do feel like this is... Uh, I don't want to say a peak because they're still amazing, but I feel like it, it's at least a, a huge peak at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, so a, it's a huge mark. I sort of look at this record as them sort of finding themselves or discovering their their niche and their style of music. Like, don't get me wrong, Adrenaline and Around the Fur, there are some songs like I think Be Quiet and Drive and some other songs where you can sort of see this melodic side of them, but. This incorporates the hip hoppy kind of stuff in a totally different way, not by rapping, but more by the beats that Abe plays and the, the elements that, that Frank does. The more It's more trip hop than hip hop. And uh, the sort of moody, brooding darkness of the album, yeah. uh, I think it sort of became a staple of, of who they were and where they would go from there. Um, so I, I, was, I, look, I look at it as kind of a banner record for them, or sort of them discovering themselves. I was reading about the reception uh, that the album received uh, when it came out, and uh, one of them, I don't have it in front of me again, but they gave it a four out of five, uh, saying that the only thing that has going against it is that it's, uh, they said it was, you know, it's hard to listen to sometimes uh, because it's it's so, uh, it's so angsty and aggressive. Uh, but I guess... I, that's like all the music I listen to. Yeah. So that's never bothered me. Maybe that's what attracts me to it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting looking at the reviews from the time. I think I saw, like, the Kerrang! magazine gave it five out of five, but nobody else really sort of, like, gave it overwhelmingly positive reviews. They got a lot of four out of fives, three out of fours, or whatever. Rolling but, Stone gave it a three out of five? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was there, that's a positive what? review, but it's not, like, overwhelmingly, like, this band has accomplished something. And I think because when you review something in the moment, you're not, you can't look at it historically or look at how it has impacted the, uh, a genre right. and impacted other musicians. There's no way of knowing. <laughs> and, and I think Rolling, no Rolling Stone actually 10 or 15 years later called it the 66th best metal album of all time. So Wow, that's... Uh, uh, that's something. Yes, 66 is maybe not the highest of numbers, but there's been a lot that's of a metal albums. Yeah, I feel like that's fitting. That's I'm, I'm happy that it's 66. It, it could have been three off, too. If it was 69, that would have been cool, too. Yeah, it actually did win a Grammy also, which is interesting. Um, wow, it, I actually didn't... Oh, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying I didn't know that. It's right in front of me. Um, it won Best Metal Performance in 2001 for the, the third track on the album called Elite. Yeah, I that's, don't think uh, they were planning on winning, but uh, when, they... When you're right, you'll bleed out of control, right? That's that song? Right, yes. 
That's such a good song. It's it's definitely the heaviest song on the record, I would say, and it's got yeah kind of an, an industrial feel to it as well, which I think is the Frank Delgado influence. But it's definitely the heaviest song on the album, and the rest of the album to me doesn't really fit that much into the metal like traditional metal category. But that song is heavy as fuck, and it's it's really you know it's. I think it's the only time they ever won a Grammy. I don't know if it's the only time they ever got uh, nominated, but the only time they ever won one for sure uh, for best metal performance uh, there in two thousand one. But uh, interesting about the singles. So, so Change was released before the album came out. Change was released in May of two thousand, and I remember driving. I was driving at that time uh, the old Mustang, the Beater Stang, and (laughs) tuning it to the radio. And the first time I remember hearing it, like, it's so weird that I remember this. I was driving home from Yontville from oh my God, doing, doing something with Justin, I don't know, Midge related or whatever. And I remember them saying, well, we're going to play a brand new song by Deftones. And like, I, I just turned it up really loud and like, I, it started going through like a, a, a bad patch, you know, where like it started the getting staticky and I was like, no. I wanted to like pull over in a good spot just so I could hear it. But I just kept driving, listening to it. And I was not blown away by it because like I was into the more heavy, aggressive Deftones like Nosebleed and Seven Words and, uh, you know, My Own Summer and stuff like that. And so I was like, huh, you know, and to this day, Change is not not one of my top 20 40 Deftone songs, I don't think, but no? I'm I'm not one of the masses, and I believe Change is is their most well-known song, and that might be why it's not one of my favorites because it's the one sort of like with Coheed, like I don't really I don't really care about Favorite House Atlantic anymore, you know, like I oh. I'd rather hear other songs, but uh, Change kind of fits in that category. But I remember still like forcing myself to listen and like it. I was like, yeah, Deftones, <laughs> they're on the radio. <laughs> listen to that. That's my band. Uh, so the uh, the album when it was released actually came out with three different variations. There was the standard gray release cover, which had the uh, the basic uh, basic is the wrong word the the standard track list, the one through eleven, starting with Fight to Sierra and ending with Pink Maggot. But they also released two uh, limited limited edition variations, a red and a black, and I believe. They're, they're just the jewel cases, red and black, and they had some different artwork inside. But the booklets were the same, and they were numbered, which was cool. It's like one out of 10,000 or whatever it is, one out of 5,000. I don't remember what the number was, but I ended up buying both of those. And it couldn't have been that hard to find because I got them both at the warehouse in Napa. Uh, and they had a, a special bonus track called The Boys Republic, which I don't know if it's on Spotify. I don't think it is, and I think they should put I it out for it. somehow. I couldn't find it. Yeah, it's really good. Maybe I'll play a clip of it because I, I have it. I have it on an MP3 because uh, I have those albums.
then uh, now let's get into the controversy, quote unquote, of uh, Back to School. So Back to School yeah. ended up being the second single on the album, which it's funny, Change was released in May of 2000, and then Back mm-hmm. to School was released in March of 2001, which is wow, like... Wow, a whole a, 10 months between right, release? A long-ass like, time. Between singles? Um, and the band, uh, specifically Chino, I don't know if the whole band feels this way, was not mm-hmm. pumped about the release of this song, but Chino actually looks at it as more of like a sort of a fuck you moment. Uh, there's an interesting story he tells on about this uh, song. He says, this album right here, holding the White Pony re-release, the white one, he says, is not the album that we turned into the label. As far as we're concerned, the, fish, the first edition was the record. Done. Then they talked us into re-releasing it with another song on it. And it's not like I'm against the song or whatever, but I liked the sequence we had when we first turned it in. When this version came out, a little part inside of us all felt like, fuck, we just totally compromised. And I know that a lot of our fans felt bad about it, too. So what he's referring to, I think, is because that song became the opening track. And I don't know right. where, where else you would put it on the album. And I actually think that it works as an opening track. Right. Uh, because, like, the, in, the intro to that song is just, like, it kind of sets the tone for the record. But that song is, is drastically different than anything else on the album in terms of the, the, the rapping and the rap core. Because I, I feel like... I, I, I'm sort of torn about that because I really like that song and I really like it as an opener to that album. But of course, you know, Chino and the Deftones, they made it. That's their art. I feel like it should be, they should be able to have their art displayed and reflected the way they want it out there. So, so like, like I was saying, it's kind of an F you to the label a little bit. Uh, the band specifically regretted the presence of Back to School on the re-release of the album, as Marino stated in an interview with German rock magazine Visions. He says, Back to School was a mistake, a calculated song that had been built up with only one aim in mind. It should be a single. Back to School was released because I was an idiot. I wanted to prove something to the record company. Months later, after White Pony was released, they wanted us to do a new version of Pink Maggot. They said we lost our heaviness, and there were no more singles on the album. First, I wanted to stick this idea up my ass, but then I thought, I'm going to show those fuckers how easy it is to create a hit single. And so I wrapped a hip-hop part on that song, we shortened it, and a half hour later, the hit single was ready to roll on. I, 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 mean, I very much enjoyed that quote. and That's awesome. Uh, I, I think it's interesting because it sounds like they sort of don't like the song, but at the same time he said, uh, 
earlier that uh, don't get me wrong, like it's it's a cool song or whatever. But he, to to say that we we did it in half an hour is like you know as an fu to the label. Like you want your single, here's your single, you know. Uh, and it turned out to be a hit single. <laughs> it it was a, a big song for them. Um, I remember yeah. seeing the video on MTV all the time. I like that video. Yeah, and it, it was it was they did their damn thing. But how, how do you feel about that? Uh, I think if he's gonna look at it from that approach, I think that's fucking awesome. Uh, you know, I'm always about a, a big fu to the, the record label. Uh, <laughs> as, as an independent artist who's never been offered a contract ever, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm all about speaking to the man, man. Uh, but uh, I was really surprised actually because I had always not knowing that I had assumed that Back to School was written first and then cut as like a b-side and then reworked into Pink Maggot uh, just because that was the order I had first heard the record in uh, and when I learned that it wasn't on there I assumed that it had been originally written and was just cut and then was cut back I didn't realize it was they really took out the end or the uh, the ending, the refrain of Pink Maggot, and wrote a whole new song around that. Uh, I think that's also a really interesting way to, to songwrite, uh, and they did a good job. I feel like it sounds like what they wanted to do was put that out as a single after the album. The next year is sort of like a like a remix, re-release of just that song kind of thing is, is what I get out of that. Yeah. But they didn't want to put it back on the album, or at least they didn't want to open the album. <laughs> yeah, um, it looks like I'm looking at past set lists of theirs, and that is not a song they play frequently. Um, do they play it at all? They do play it. It looks like certain. You know how bands do set lists. It looks like in 2017 it was on their set list, and then in 2011 it was on their set list. But as like to use Coheed as an example. Um, Favor House Atlantic and Welcome Home are in all their set lists and those are their, their two biggest hits I would say that uh, Back to School is if not their second biggest hit it's probably not their second maybe Shove It or uh, Minerva in your bigger hits but it's it's definitely yeah. in their top three or four big songs uh, that oh, okay. it would maybe want to be in all their set lists, but it's. it's you not. think uh, uh, "Change" and "Be Quiet and Drive" are the biggest hits? No, I would say "Shove It" probably. "Change" and "Shove It," and then uh, really? maybe "Be Quiet and Drive" after that, and then also "Minerva." I remember the, from the, the self-titled record that was a pretty big hit at the time because it sort of is reminiscent to "Change." <laughs> uh, but anyway. Yeah, interesting about that song. I like that song too, and I listen to it now as part of that record. It doesn't, it, it flows fine for me. Um, I sort of it, think of it as uh, because "Fire Sierra" is also, I think, a great opening track, and right. it's just really raw. It's it's like a, it, 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 I don't know. It, it's it's just a solid like he punches right into it with this ripping guitar sound yeah uh and these super raw vocals talking about getting tied up <laughs> yeah the, the first uh, the first like, line i think of that song is like is. fuck i'm drunk <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even actually know that uh, I, I don't I, I don't uh as a songwriter i love lyrics and the lyrics of theirs that i do know i think are beautifully written but i i don't decipher a lot of their lyrics and I don't necessarily try to because I think for them it seems like I feel like Chino kind of writes more about the melody first than he fits the words to the melody yeah uh, and the songs I, themselves they evoke enough thought and emotion I think uh, 
yes. the, the way they sound. Like you don't necessarily need the lyrics to give you They're a certain sort of feeling. There as, as a extra, it's like icing on the cake almost. Right, and he, he's good at making noise. Like even if he's not maybe saying a word or a distinct yeah, lyric, like he, he, he makes. Yeah, he grunts and screams. Right, yeah, <laughs> he's all over the map with stuff like that. So that's that's really cool, and I think he did a lot of that on this album. They, they were contemporaries of like Limp Bizkit and Corn and bands like that, and I think White Pony is sort of where they broke away from being contemporaries of those bands and kind of started forging their own path. And instead of being influenced by other artists, they were the influencers now, you know, in, in my mind. Uh, so I have a, a couple questions for you about this relating to this record. And the first one is a generic question, but when you put on this album or when you think about this album, how does it make you feel? Oh, uh, it's a mood, that's for sure. Uh, I generally don't listen to it when I want to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, it seems like, why would you not want to be happy? I mean, sometimes you, uh, it, 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 it's a dark album, that's for sure. Uh, but it's uplifting in, in the end, uh, that, that chorus and Pink Maggot, uh, back to school I was reading another quote about that uh, where he, he talked about other people were saying uh, they were writing songs about how it's o- it's okay to be picked on because you're different in school and he's like no fuck that like stand up <laughs> like yeah. mm-hmm. we're, we are the leaders we're taking we're be- taking school back yeah and I, yeah and I think that's that's what it is I think he was he's, and be he's confident saying, yeah be proud of yourself stand up for yourself don't right. let people put you in your place you know right. or try to put you in their place yeah. Uh, so it's sort of it, it's that's it, sort of a champion inspiring at the end and change. Uh, that's I, I think that's a beautiful movement of a, of a song. It's a very emotional song, uh, and I feel like I uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to talk about it too much because we, we got to talk about our tracks later. You yeah. know. For me. This album is moody and it's brooding, and I look at it as a great, like, rainy day or sort of fall, autumn, wintry style record. Oh. Uh, it's it's got heaviness to it, but it's mixed with kind of a sultry, electronic vibe. Also, uh, it and, gives and it's sweet sometimes too. Yes, it's like, definitely like, sweet. Like a teenager. Yes, and it's got a. This is a, a word that Tom, my old singer and old dear friend, uh, would describe this record as: is it's, it's, it's sexy. It's got a, a sexiness to it. And, Absolutely. And it's, it's not an. Like, Tom like always it's, has the best words. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very good with words, uh, but it's it's hard to quantify that. You just have to like listen to it, and then you sort of get that. I think it, it's. I can't pinpoint a certain song and say, well, this song is. It's very sexy. It gets me horny. That's not what I mean. You know, it's that's that's not what, what that I mean. It, it's like a, it's like a just a vibe that you get where, it's just it's just sexy. I don't really know how to explain it. And yeah, also, it's like the way his voice blends in with the guitar. It's all the the layers of his of his voice and the production on it. The yeah. production is, is sexy. I think is what it is. It, it it also has a gloomy feeling to it, like you were saying, a sad record to me. But it it's a gloomy in a good way. Um, and yeah. the, the songs, they have some excitement, like Korea and Knife Party and certain songs. Uh, Elite is, of course, a big, big track in terms of bringing the energy up. But overall, I think it's kind of a melancholy, gloomy record, but I love it. And I think uh, the lyrics are 
thought-provoking and interesting and non-typical when you actually do break down and listen to the lyrics and like it just it makes me feel good but in a, a gloomy sexy moody brooding way <laughs> do you consider this to be the deftones apex or peak record um yeah i, I think i probably would deftones has a lot of great records i don't need to diminish any of them but i do think this one would would take the cake as, as the apex record yeah i i agree i would say definitely yes because of sort of like what I talked about earlier, I think it was them sort of discovering themselves. Uh, commercially and creatively, I think the band was at their peak. The sound of the times around it, like those other bands I mentioned, I think helped mm-hmm. this album stand out and its reputation. Uh, in a way, the- it, it influenced it, and it's like it took all the best parts of, of the sound of the times around it, and it left all that other bullshit behind it. Yeah, it's the album where everything seemed to click for the band, I think, commercially and creatively. Yeah. Uh, everything they've released post-White Pony has definite elements of what they achieved on White Pony. I feel like yeah. like White Pony is where they fully flex their Deftones muscles, the, the melodic mixed with the heavy, you know? Uh, yeah, I think it's their, their good Apollo. Yeah, um, and it's it sucks to say they peaked earlier, their apex is so early, but that's, that's not to diminish anything they've released since and I think I think probably Absolutely. Diamond Eyes is my second or third favorite Deftones album and that came out you know Me 10 too. years later uh, so yeah they have fantastic records they, in the last 20 years right it's they, just this one's super good they're, they're, <laughs> they're consistently good on on uh, in general they put out good records so uh, this is an interesting question who do you think had the best performance on the record as a musician if you break down the different elements who do you think had the best performance oh man that's uh i wasn't prepared for this question i don't know i've never thought about that uh because i guess i always think of them as like one unified sound um but uh, i'm biased and i'll admit that because i'm a singer uh but i'm gonna say i think chino has the best performance on this record yeah, he's, uh, he's all over and, the place it's good it's hard for him not to because he stands out, you know? I mean, the, the lead vocal is what the whole song is mixed around. My pick, best performance, I'm giving it to Frank Delgado. I think he definitely infused the album with a lot of great atmosphere, lots of feeling and different sounds that were not present sort of as much in their earlier work. This is where I think they graduated from the new metal band into something more, and I think Frank was a, was a big part. He was key in that transition. And yeah. I don't think White Pony would have been what it was if they didn't have a guy like Frank on the synthesizers, on the keys, on the uh, the samples, and the, the, the different electronic elements that made this album what it was. So I don't know that I would call him the MVP of any other record that they've done, but I feel like he's the MVP of this album, and it's their most important album. So I, I kudos and shout out to Frank Delgado. Attaboy, Frankie. <laughs> yeah. So... There we have it, breakdown of the album, and now we get into our favorites. Uh, top three tracks. I, I was going to do top five. That's how we how we roll, but, you know, you convinced me otherwise. So we're going <laughs> to... Well, I, I just feel like I already knew this was going to be an album that we could talk forever about. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's just in the interest of, of the public. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All seven of my listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, shout out all of them. 
but we're doing this for you <laughs> and for but mostly for us right okay well that being said then let's get into number three let's start with you what's your number three favorite track on white pony well i've already talked about it a lot uh but it's uh it's back to school wow back okay. to school mini maggot that's my number three favorite track on the album. does it is there any particular reason like how, what is that song how does it speak to you I guess maybe it, it, it's uh, it's more nostalgia or be, like uh, it's mixed for the same reason I like graduation day because it makes me feel like it reminds me of being a teenager uh, and uh, I listen to back to school when I was in community college I would listen to that every beginning of every semester just to pump myself up and get ready for the new semester <laughs> that's interesting um, yeah um, I feel like uh, it, it, you know it's a super it, it, it's it's definitely the biggest product of its time on on, the, on that record feels like the most rooted in in that that era uh, because of the rap rock on it I don't think most people do that today that's not, I mean people now it's all about melodic rap right. uh, I think that I I, I, I don't know I, I like it because it's it, it, it puts me in a certain time and place and it, it makes me feel like I'm pumped up to take on whatever I'm, I'm about to take on. back did you shift through all the clicks did i sh shift through oh <laughs> you're spouting lyrics at me yeah um some of them sure i feel like i'm constantly shifting through clicks in in without school and just just when i think i know you right you switch it up exactly <laughs> feel that on a spiritual level oh man I, I, I we've talked about that song a little bit on here, and I definitely like that song, but it is not in my top three. Um, but that, that I, does. I it, get the feeling maybe maybe none of my top three none of my top three will be your top three. That's okay. <laughs> maybe uh, that's very possible. But that song does like what you were saying. You listen to go to community college, and, but and how it sort of harkens back to that time. I listen to that song and it makes me think of high school too. Like it makes me think of that era because it came out in that era for me. You were yeah. like seven years old when it came out. But, <laughs> I was, uh, I think I was six years old when it came out. Well, Back to School came out in 2001, so you were seven. Uh, oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it takes me back to that time period and it just puts a smile on my face because I definitely love that track, Back to School, Mini Maggot. Well, what's your number three, Joel? Uh, my number three, Digital Bath.
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's got that moody sort of feeling to it, you know. Um, it's it's I don't even really know how to describe it. I'm gonna play a little bit of all these songs, you know. That's kind of how I roll. But yeah. I feel like this album, the first like four songs are just like all killer. And Digital Bath, just that that introduction. Um, the, the drum beat, you know, and the, uh, yeah. the the broodiness of it, I think, is sort of quintessential White Pony to me. Absolutely. Um, the song, in general, feels like it's sort of triumphant a little bit, uh, but it's also a little melancholy. It's 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 kind of a love song a little bit. Uh, you know, the the chorus uh, tonight. You know, I feel like more. It's, uh, yeah. it's it's just uh, you know I'm I'm rambling I'm saying a lot of it's and uhs and stuff <laughs> but I, I don't know you you you're down with digital bath is it on your list? Yeah, well I was wrong when I said we might not have the same because that's my number two. Oh okay, um, that's good. So so you, what, what does this song say for you or how, why, why do you like this song? I just really like the vibe of the song, uh, kind of what you were saying about how it, the, the tone, it's, it sets the mood, and uh, I think it's perfectly placed on the record right after Pride to Sierra. I hope <laughs> I said that right. Yeah. Um, you know, depending on which version of the album you're listening to, it's the, number, it's the second or the third track. Right. Uh, and uh, I think it, it's, it's, per, it's the perfect segue into after Pride to Sierra's super raw and angry uh you know in your face kind of intro and then it take it back to that to that drum beat and the uh just that smooth uh i think that's a that's a synth going on in the background but it could be yeah. it's it's honestly hard to tell what the instruments are sometimes just with the depth tones because they have such cool tones and interesting tunings going on their guitars sound like bass. Their basses sound like guitars. The only thing I'm sure of sometimes are the drums. <laughs> sometimes yeah. his vocals sound like guitar, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Digital digital bath. Uh. Uh, and I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the acoustic version of that track is, is uh, I, I really like the haunting vibe of that song. I think that his vocals stand out even more on that track because it's it's a little more raw and unpolished but i do love uh the drums and i know that you as a drummer uh are <laughs> sure i'm sure you're super partial to the drums yeah i actually as we move on the list uh, that's that's a key element to deftones is the drums so your number two is this song digital bath yes so i'm gonna go with my number two then mm-hmm. uh i'm assuming you, this is pronounced rx queen Stop to rest on the moon. 
that's a great song too. Yeah, I don't know how else it would be pronounced. Yeah, well, you know, our ex bandits they used to be called the pharmaceutical bandits. <laughs> oh, okay. Drug but queen. I, I would call. Yeah, there you go. I would call it RX Queen. That's that's how I've always said it. And yeah, that again has an awesome drum beat. And Abe Cunningham, I think, is is an overlooked awesome drummer. I think that he really sets the tone for the the band and gives them yeah. some different dynamics. Like he's a super hard hitting player, but he he plays he doesn't play the same beat all the time. Like I I, I play the same beat all the time. <laughs> like that's that's how I no, roll. He's very dynamic. Uh, he's always exploring new 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 drumming styles. And, uh, and I have a feeling that Frank helped a lot with the production on this in terms of maybe how the drums were played or, or some of the uh, some of the sequences. The, yeah, some of the beats on this song. song it's also um yeah i think it's similarly i think it's i don't know if it's a love song or what but it's definitely interesting <laughs> the, the first lyrics on this song is i won't stop following you which is yeah. uh, it, it, it creepy reminds me of uh be quiet and drive which uh you, you know it's sort of this like stalker element stalker kidnapper kind of vibe uh right that, he does that real well <laughs> lyrically I, it makes me think when I'm reading the lyrics like it's kind of stalkerish it's maybe like that police song that nobody knows is about a stalker uh, you know I'll be watching you Th- this and song everyone knows that's about a stalker though right well I think everyone does now but when it came out people didn't think of it like that uh, okay but anyway this song I won't stop following you now help me pray for the death of everything new and then we'll fly farther because you're my girl and that's all right. If you sting me, I won't mind. I feel like kind of creepy, stalkery kind of vibe to the song, but but musically, it it, it really it's got the sort of haunting guitar uh, and the drum beat on it. It's just like it's a quintessential White Pony song to me. And like I was saying earlier, I think on the original eleven song track list, that the mm. first four songs it just like really set the tone. And this was track four on that RX Queen. I feel like this one is probably, I mean, for, for I, what I think I get out of it, there's a stalker vibe, but I think it's more of like a, uh, there's like a, it's like an addiction almost. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it, it's about drug use. And I think that the, the girl, uh, if it is a girl could be his partner that he does drugs with, or it could be drugs themselves. And, I, and white pony, uh, is that not, uh, is, is that not a drug reference? Cocaine reference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I could see that's, that too. That's what, that's what I get out of it. Yeah, that's a definite. Uh, I definitely could see that if you sting me, you know. Uh, I won't mind. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just keep coming back. Yeah, a lot. Of, I definitely. I'm reading the lyrics now. I, I could see a lot of drug sort of uh, metaphors or whatever. Um, we'll stop to rest that's on the moon. We'll make a fire. I'll steal a carcass for you, then feed off the virus. Like. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. You'll turn a newborn baby blue. Now we're all the virus. Uh, yeah, that's definitely 
you know, I, that's the great thing about maybe writing lyrics like this is they can be interpreted in different ways. Um, like you gotta, like you, you gotta wonder like about anyone who writes lyrics about that. Like you gotta wonder like, are they okay? <laughs> are they just really creative? Yeah. You know, is it a mix between both? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think I think I think that's probably a good way of describing Chino. Like I think he's had emotional issues and substance issues and things like that, but he's also just super creative. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's my number two. What's your number one? Number one song. Number one, it, you know, it's it's pretty basic, and I feel like uh, I feel like you're gonna make fun of me for it, but but it, it's it's change. Oh, okay. Uh, change uh, is a very nostalgic Deptone song for me because I've, I've I think uh, it's I don't think it's the first Deptone song I was exposed to. I think the first one that I was exposed to that I can remember uh, was uh, Shattered, My Own Summer. Yeah. Um, I remember watching that music video as a kid. Uh, but the, this song uh, became like an integral part of my childhood at one point because uh, it was featured in a Dragon Ball Z movie <laughs> when I was... <laughs> really? Yeah, it's in uh, the movie Cooler's Revenge. Uh, Cooler, uh, as you may know or may not know, is the brother of Frieza, uh, Dragon Ball Z film. And he's got two movies... Uh, neither of which are really great, but uh, there's cool sequences in them, and one of the coolest sequences has a Deftone song in it, and it's Change. Super Saiyan while he's like holding a bird that's like dead and him going Super Saiyan while Deftones is playing brings it back to life somehow it's badass <laughs> well uh, <laughs> the lyrics to change like, how do you what do you feel like that's about like I feel like it's, I feel like it's about going Super Saiyan man <laughs> that's right. what I've always thought of it as. <laughs> no I think it's about um, I mean obviously it's I, I think he's being very literal yeah. in, in, in the sense of change about a metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a crucible, something that's very difficult to go through and, and changes the, you know, your essence, the fiber of your, of your being. Uh, uh, and he says, I watched you change. Right? I watched a change in you. Yeah. people who are in relationships or have close friends or family 
who they can see uh, going through an inward change uh, and becoming a different person. That, I mean, that happens to the best of us, to all of us. Uh, and that can be really hard for the people around you to watch. And that's what it's, I mean, that's what I've gotten out of it. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like uh, going with, with the rest of the themes of this album, it's probably anger and addiction have something to do with it. Yeah. Um, especially in the House of Flies. Uh, I don't know what that means, but it sounds gross. I don't want to go to a House of Flies. <laughs> um, so this song, even though I kind of shit on it earlier, I, I like this song. I like this song a lot. And it, to me, epitomizes this record. Like, almost in one single song, you have the the haunting of it but also the sexiness of it and yeah. it's it's it is a, a good it's got a great chorus it's it's a catchy song but like like that the bridge when it breaks down and you're just kind of hearing this atmospheric stuff and little guitar lick and he's talking about looking at the cross and looking away give you the gun blow me yeah. away like that yeah. that whole portion and then it breaks out into the chorus again like like I say th- th- this song it does really sort of you know put the whole album in, in a little snapshot to me and every i think it's not a crazy it's not the most complex song it's it's i think it's almost the most for you know sort of straightforward song structure wise yeah uh on on the record uh but every every instrument really shines on it the mix on it and the mix on the whole album i think is fantastic yep uh that that's something i think that really we haven't really talked about too much uh, in, I think, to really make or break an album is the production on this album is uh, is just perfect and it, it blends itself so well. They they had it right. The, the tones they use, you know, it it fits the mood they were going for, but it, it and it like sort of what I've been talking about. It sort of set set the pace or like laid out the foundation for what Deftones would become. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Tonally, it's it's really really good. So change that's your number one. I think a lot of people would agree with you. However, I do not. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> My number one song is actually the opening track, Fight to Sierra. That's a great song, even man. Though I don't blame you. I've never known how to pronounce it. I don't <laughs> even know if I'm pronouncing it correct now. If any Deftones fans are listening, any, I think it's like a, it's, it's a Portuguese saying or something. They're Chino, probably, if you're out there, please tell us. Yeah, like, yeah, get back to me, Chino. You know, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this song is... A perfect opening track as much as i think back to school works as an opening track this song i remember putting the disc in and like having it start that guitar and then the drums coming in the drum beat is is interesting and weird and then yeah. chino comes on and it's just like 
Like it sounds like the Deftones, but it sounds new and interesting and fresh. And it, it's still, it has an element of heaviness, but I think the heaviness is more sort of darkness. And it's just, it's really good. And, you know, back when this album came out, uh, before the album came out, this is back in the days of like Napster and sort of the uh, pre-torrenting stuff. And you, you could download like, uh, you could find on Napster and LimeWire and stuff, you could find demo versions of songs. And the bands hated this, you know, bands hated when stuff yeah, would course. leak out. And this song was called New they Murderer. They do it on purpose. They do it on purpose now, I think. But uh, yeah. N- New Murderer was the name of the song. I remember just thinking, like, that is a badass name for a song. That was the name of Fire to Cigar when, when it was leaked? Yeah. And he, he does say that in the song. Um, so when I when I saw the, the track list... New Murderer. That's the part, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. When I saw the track list, I was like, oh, man, that song didn't make it. But then it's the first song you hear. It's, it's nice. That's it's rewarding. Really, yeah. really good, good song. And to me, it's one of my not just my favorite song on White Pony. It's one of my favorite Deftone songs. Period. I love. Was the demo mostly the same? Yeah, it was pretty much. It just like rougher takes, less production, that kind of thing. Uh, okay. I, you know, I probably have it on a CD somewhere, <laughs> maybe on a hard drive. I don't know. I think I got rid of a lot of that stuff because it's like who listens to the demos really? But anyway, Fight to Sierra. It didn't make your list, but you like this song. I do like the song a lot. It would have probably been my fourth Yeah. It's, again, going over the, the first five tracks, first four tracks on the album, I think it's just, not to say that the, the back end of the album is not good, like, but just to me, Fight to Sierra, Digital Bath, Elite, and then RX Queen, it's like, bam, this is what this album's all about. And then I like Street Carp and Teenager, but I think it kind of, like, it ebbs and flows and then it kind of flows downward or vibes downward a little bit and then picks you back up with Knife Party in Korea and then Passenger and Change kind of have their I own thing. I feel like it's, it's almost perfectly divided up into three acts. Right, yes, uh, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, but So the first act, to me, is my favorite. <laughs> I love Elite too, but uh, our Digital Bath, RX Queen, and Fight to Sierra, that's my top three. That's a solid top three, man. So I guess that about wraps it up for this edition of Classic Album Breakdown. We picked White Pony by the Deftones. And I am researching, diligently researching what the next album I want to break down is. Um, Try to look for another anniversary of some kind and try to find some more friends to talk to about great records because I love talking music. How are you deciding what years you do as far as when you start talking about albums? Uh, Because uh, you did, what was it, 1990? 1994. Three or four, and then you did 2000. Well, 1994 <laughs> was 25 years from 19, or excuse me, from 2019, which is when I started this pod. Uh, okay. So I'm trying to find, uh, you know, years within five or ten years, or, or whatever, uh, 
not like random, like, oh, this record turned 17 today. Like if it, if it turns, <laughs> if it turns 15 or 20 or 30 or something like that, like a, a sort of more monumental number, that's kind of what I'm looking at. And that's how this one qualified as 20 years, you know, uh, and maybe like we'll do something from 2010 or whatever. And maybe I'll go backwards and do 1980 or 1985, something like that. When you do 2005, I, let me know. I, I will. I'm well. That's what I'm saying. I'm doing a lot of research now to figure out sort of what which one I want to do next, and and I, I want to do movies and directors and things like that too. So we'll we'll get into that. But I appreciate you coming on here and doing this one, the the, the Virgin Voyage of uh, classic album breakdowns. Um, I've always wanted to go on a Virgin Voyage. <laughs> yes, and uh, Zach is With a my brother. Zach is a touring local musician, if that makes sense. Uh, he's touring local musician. He's he's touring all the hot spots in the valley. Touring all the local spots. And uh, he has just booked a few gigs. So this this is going to be released on, I believe, the thirtieth of this month. So your gigs are coming up in July. What what do you got coming down the pike? Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, on the. Second, I think I'm playing at Jam Sellers uh, from 8 to 10. That'll be cool. It's my first in-person gig there. And then uh, on the 8th, I'll be at Salage Resort in Calistoga. And to the best of our knowledge, as far as we know, Zach does not have COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, I was feeling a little funny. I was coughing kind of hard and I got a fever, but I think it's probably nothing, you know? <laughs> okay. So, yeah, go... <laughs> Go press the flesh with Zach on uh, the <laughs> Thursday night at Jam Cellars in the, the world's no, tiniest fine. venue. I've got no symptoms. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, get all get up close and personal. We can do karaoke. Y'all can use my microphone. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on episode thirty. This has been all the things with Joel One, and I will catch you guys later. Later. Mm-hmm. Thank you.